You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon. This is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast. We are so excited that you're joining us today, and if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, We are two friends that love to get together to talk and discuss the Word of God. And actually, it's been a while since we recorded, and we're hoping to get back on a regular schedule. Uh, If you haven't joined us uh, recently, we have been going through the book of Jonah. And uh, before we do that, CL, my friend, it's a pleasure to finally, after so many months, to get back and record and get back and discuss in the Word of God that we love to do. It is indeed. It's a good opportunity to be back with uh, hot chocolate. Albeit it's... Uh, it, you know, it's 100 yeah. degrees outside. Yes. And and you have, you I have my coffee. hot coffee, though, but yes. hot chocolate goes uh, with the summertime. The best thing is we're sitting down as brothers, as friends, That's right. as we uh, are accustomed to, and sitting down devotionally with the Word of God. Amen, amen. So what we like to do is we like to envision that we're just talking at a table with the Bibles open, our coffee's here, and we imagine that you're listening in. Uh, into our conversation and joining in. So if you do have your Bibles, you could follow along uh, with us. If not, just listen to the conversation. And we believe that every word of God's Word is inspired and it's uh, practical and useful. And what I'm going to do today is we're actually going to be actually in Jonah chapter 2. Now, believe it or not, (laughs) it has taken us forever to get the man and the fish, okay? Let's just put it that way. It's taken us forever. So finally today... He's going to be in the fish. But I'm going to do this just for the sake of contextual reading everything. I'm going to back up a few verses, okay? Is that okay? Yes. Of course. Uh, If we're going to begin there, John, is it possible that we could begin at um, chapter 1, verse 17, which I would argue is actually part of? Yes, I was going to do that, actually. Um, And then, yeah, we'll, we'll do that, yeah. Anyway, John, Jonah, John, they sound the same. Jonas. Jonas. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days, three nights. Now, let me back up a little bit, because we're just jumping into this verse, and if you haven't listened to this already, Jonah, of course, is a, is a prophet of God, and he's told by God to go to a place called Nineveh, and Nineveh was part of Assyria, and they were like terrible enemies of, of Israel. And he tells Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach a message of repentance. Hey, repent or else, you know, I'm going to destroy you. And Jonah doesn't like that idea. In fact, he goes the opposite way. And so he decides to charter a a ship going to Tarshish, which can be as far as Spain or it could be Greece. It's just the opposite direction. And in the midst of this, of course, God allows a great storm to happen, and during the storm, of course, Jonah is sleeping in the whole uh, the bottom of the ship, and the men who are not followers of God uh, decide to cry out to their gods and ask for Jonah to pray, and uh, they figure out that the reason for the storm is because of Jonah, and so Jonah says, hey, "Listen, throw me overboard, and the storm will stop," and so that's exactly what happened. They um, they pick up Jonah, verse fifteen. It says, "So they picked up Jonah, threw him over into the sea." 
and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to follow to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars or gates was around me forever. But you have brought me up up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Now, that's chapter two. And Lord, you know, no, we know how we, this is how we, we roll. We're not getting through chapter two today, although I would love to do that. But uh, some of us like to, to cast the anchor a little bit longer and, and meander in, into the deeper waters, which we'll do. But Jonah is now finally in the fish, okay? So let's talk about that. Let's, let's do because this, this is a fantastic uh, account, description, uh, however you want to call it, of a, a, an amazing event. And, uh, and, and pretty, pretty radical, you know, God sending a fish to swallow, I mean, to swallow a man. Um, let's let's get and, and let's get into that right now. So, what absolutely. Do you think? Before before we begin there, John, I think it's important to qualify why you chose to read over into chapter one, and why I made the comment that it really does belong to the right. content of chapter two. Um, and I'm sure most of our audience knows this, but it is important to know that while the Bible is altogether inspired by God, it is God breathe, um, that the chapter numbers, chapter breaks and verses were not inspired by God. Um, they came along quite later as a means to help individuals grasp sections of the Bible. And if I am honest, I don't know that that's altogether as helpful. I think it has limited our view of content. Well, this, this one particular verse, verse 17 in our Bibles, chapter one, it's sort of like a hinge. Because you can argue it goes with the previous section, but you can also argue it bridges to, towards the next. So I can see the dilemma. I think in the in the Hebrew text, it's part of chapter two. Yes, it is. It's it's what we refer to literarily as a Janus. Yes. It looks backward and forward. Yeah, the double-sided and guy. Absolutely, which was named after the, um, uh, the god, right. literarily, right? And from which we gain our word January, uh, which looks back to the previous year and forward to the next year. You've been studying? That's... <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> January Janus. <laughs> I, I didn't have a chance to pull, up my, pull open my Wikipedia for that one. But <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyway. So it looks backward it and does. forward. And when we are making um, 
calls in in expositional teaching. We follow the literary text, or we follow the natural breaks that occur within the literature. And the author historically will give some sort of literary marker right. uh, that indicates a change in thought or idea or a change of some sort that connects you with the next thought. Right. So this particular idea of the fish is really what's picked up in what we would refer to as verse number 17. And while it appreciates and looks back to uh, the events that led up to it, it seems to more so um, uh, be connected with the events that follow. Right. So that's the reason I, why I, 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 yeah, I you read that Cause way. Because you, you have you have at the beginning him uh, the fish swallowing him up, and at the end he's spitting him back up. You know, uh, so that that would go together. But of course, it, the the fact that it the, the scripture says that the Lord appointed a fish, uh, as if this was a fish designated for Jonah or appointed by God to do that job for Jonah. We don't know if this was you know here traditionally a, a whale or we don't know what fish this was. It, the, the the Hebrew term is dog. It's a very general term. Gener- yeah. So it's a non-particularized or non-specific term that can speak of a wide range right. of, of fish uh, life, as, as it and, were. And, and the reason I bring that up is a lot of times, you know, people like to say, well, is it possible for a man to survive in a fish? And that's not the point of the text. That's not really the, the point of, of, the, of this passage here. If God wanted to, he could have he could have created a special fish just to accommodate uh, a you know a man being swallowed. We don't. It, it doesn't go there. You know, it doesn't. Uh, and and not to say that God couldn't do that. It just doesn't identify because that's not the point. Really, uh, is uh, uh, the point is not to identify what kind of fish this was, but that this fish was used by God for a particular purpose. Well, while and I agree with you, while. Uh, there is an ambiguity in the framework of the text, right? Um, there is also some deliberateness in what is done. First of all, this sort of narrative, uh, the right. Bible altogether, right. anticipates a supernatural framework. Right. And if you are working from a naturalistic approach, that is an approach that does not allow for miracles, right. then you completely, absolutely discount this entire narrative right. uh, and, the, and the data of this narrative. Um, and if you do that, by the way, here's what you cannot do. You cannot pick and choose because Jesus Christ later on, and we'll get to that, right. he tethers the legitimacy of the resurrection right. and his three-day stint in the grave to which the is, details which is, of this narrative. Which is hugely significant because by Jesus doing that, he first he identifies as Jonah as being an actual historical person. Right. And the events of Jonah to be actual historic, and if he's going to tether the idea of the resurrection or even just the death, because Jonah is going to go through sort of a death, a sort of a death, a death experience of sorts, if he's going to base or tie that to the most important event in human history, the resurrection, his death, burial, and resurrection, that says a lot. That says a lot to Jesus giving now great credulity to to Jonah and the book of Jonah and to into the God to God's uh, working in uh, in Jonah himself so so while the while the type of fish doesn't matter the truth the veracity right. of this event does matter I was just gonna say just just to, before we move on is it does say a lot that if you approach the scripture with certain presuppositions that are anti um, 
anti-theistic, anti-miraculous, supernatural. Then, then of course, if you if you come with that assumption that that cannot happen, or or if I can explain it away naturally, that means therefore it must have been not done naturally. Not necessarily, because if you look at the the other, there are things that you can reproduce naturally, but the supernatural part of it is the timing of it all too. You know, uh, things like Moses, you know, raising his, his staff and his hands and, his, and the sea splits or the um, the plagues that come, uh, the, the control over the nature at that point, you know, is supernatural and not just natural. So that says a lot of how you approach scripture as far as whether you are open or close to the possibility that, that God uh, can work in that way. And often, of course, that's, you know, the realm he lives in. And absolutely. I think we should say in list form, possibly, one ought be very careful when they're choosing and picking which miracles to validate and which miracles not to validate. Right. If there is a God, then miracles are in fact possible. Right. Um, secondarily, uh, when you're looking within the framework of Scripture uh, to undermine this, um, obviously to a non-believing society, there was something on the person of Jonah that was so convincing that we know historically that he was the most successful missionary in the First Testament period. Yeah, I mean, the so guy speaks, he he speaks what, five words? and <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> people Second, will repent? Secondarily, we cannot discount his historicity, because while this is the book, we know that he actually appears in Kings. Right. We know that he's yeah. mentioned by the quintessential figure of Scripture, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, we know that he has a message that is consistent with the other messages that other prophets had. Yeah. Uh, and so we would be dismissing a great deal just because of a bias against supernaturalism uh, as it occurs in Scripture. So one ought to be very careful because they're doing nothing less than pinning their intelligentsia against the the omniscience of God and the power of God, frankly. Sorry, Thomas Jefferson. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, Anyway, so let's see. We are... So we're in 117. In 117. Which we're going to consider part of the larger section right. that individuals would probably call a, 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 a chapter number two. Right. Um, w- when you get to this concept of, of the Lord sending, yes. right? Um, or one translation, I think the NASB, a 95 update edition, God appointed. He appointed, yes. Right? That's what and, I have. And so this concept, this term in the Masoretic text is actually an accounting term. Right. Uh, it can be used for finances or something of that nature. But the term also can mean to particularly pick or choose. Right. Um, but what's interesting, it can also mean to pick out of as though one is being very selective. I just, I just, it just occurred to me that the, the role of this fish, this fish doesn't know what role he is playing. That, he's just a fish. But he's playing as such a significant role of, of being an Uber driver for God to ter- carry um, Jonah back to the shore so that this man can preach repentance to a people that are, that are going to repent. And this is a, that's a, it seems insignificant of a role, but it's hugely significant. He's not the preacher, he's not the prophet, 
but he plays a huge role by God, and he just does what he's what he's appointed to do, which is significant. Absolutely, and the appointing is very significant, not just historically um, within its context, but it's also significant um, in application. And and allow me just to to mention this. First of all, this is not the only instrument at God's behest right. here in this text. Yeah. He's going to later appoint a worm or some kind of of bug species that's going to eat the plant. Yeah. He's also going to appoint a plant to grow. He also appoints a wind. He's going to do several things. But go on. So, so God seems to be at no loss of tools. You know, I was just going to say is I don't. It, those are like the direct ones he's appointing: the the worm, the plant, the the fish. But what about the indirect ones? Like for example, Jonah is in the in the in the ship, and while he's you know having a siesta. Meanwhile, everyone upstairs on deck, they're crying out to their gods. Right. Cry out to your God, Jonah. You know, perhaps he'll save us. And, and almost an indirect, an, an, an indirect tool by God, the storm, the, these, these pagan guys who are, who are actually praying and wanting to pray to Jonah's God as well. Um, those, I think, are also indirect. Like, well, if these are unbelievers who want to do, to, who are trying to call on God, shouldn't I? It's almost, almost as if the surroundings are all speaking for God as well, you know? Absolutely. And all appointed by God. Everything is, you know, bringing him hopefully to the point of repentance and turning. And of course, we'll, we'll see how far that goes. Um, but I think it's, it's you know, a lot of times with when you, when you want to hear from God, a lot of times we always look for the direct voices, but the indirect voices are often more surrounding us than the direct voices. And of course, you know... Um, everything, I think what you're arguing is everything is working symphonically. Yes. Cooperatively, if you will, whether it is direct or indirect, it right. is all being used yes. as tools of God in the hands of God in order to accomplish which, God's plan. Which tells you something. Now we're not again. We're not even there in the text. But if it took these people in Nineveh only like say five words, I know it's just a handful of words. You know, repent or whatever, for them to get the message. Yet it takes the whole takes the whole book to get to to, to Jonah. In other words, that God is God is putting so much emphasis on speaking to His own prophet and right. His own people, let alone the people that are needing the salvation. They don't need as much, as much uh, message, let's say, uh, as the as the person of God, Absolutely. You know, which is which is again significant here because a lot of times it's the people of God that maybe aren't you know uh, getting the message. And I think Jonah, of course, in this book is. Is a main audience is is really Jonah and dealing with Jonah and getting the message to him and it takes the whole book to, for it and then and then the book ends you don't know if Jonah really got the message or understood Absolutely. the message but anyway I, that's I for think, I think that when we're looking at this John yeah. it's it's kind of intriguing to me because we're immediately faced with the larger context here because this word appointment again or God appointed if you will or or God chose. Um, it suggests this, in its, in its specificity, the word suggests that God knows the exact tool to break an obstinate prophet. Yes. Now, now remember, because thus far in chapter one, and that's how we'll refer to it, in, in the earlier narrative or earlier story, he's been very oppositional to God. Right. And the question is, what does it take for God to be able to pulverize yeah. his resistant will and bring him under subjection. Yeah. Now, now that's the historical text. 
it begs the question of two theological terms, the omniscience of God and the omnisapience of God. On one hand, the omniscience of God, God knows all things actual, factual, probable, possible, right? Right. God knows all of that. Every possibility, computation you can think of, yeah. Ad infinitum. Yeah. But then God, in his care, in his wisdom, knows exactly how to employ or utilize that knowledge for his own efficacy, that is, to bring about his result. Here, what you're looking at is, you're looking at this man and a nation, if you will. And the question is... What is it going to take to break him right. to convert them? Right. And God knows exactly, here's what the text is literally saying. He knows exactly what circumstance, which fish, which storm, which plant, which worm. Right. And, and, and here becomes the uh, applicable uh, um, um, point of this. That if you're dealing with someone that is obstinate in your life, God knows exactly what it takes to break them. Yeah. Um, there is no one who is unbreakable to God. Do you not remember King Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. We were just talking about this before the program, um, who was a great king, and um, and he had a, a time in his life when, of course, because of his pride, he gave, he basically became an animal. Um, and by the end of that occasion, he, he acknowledged God is doing whatever he could do, as God being... Um, sovereign and and uh, in the rightful place of that and recognize that God can is is all powerful and and has the right to do whatever he wants but it took uh, Nebuchadnezzar from being this great and mighty king to being reduced to an animal eating grass like a cow and then they came to his senses and realized you know God is rightfully in that place of kingship and so God will do whatever it takes. You know, it's the fact that God would go through and is concerned enough and cares enough to bring whatever person, hopefully not to, you know, um, um, to the point where they will repent. And with here, with this, with the, with whether it's a prophet of God or a child of God or somebody who, who believes in God, but somehow has been running away from God, um, God knows it is going to take to turn your heart back towards him and he will allow those or uh, and use whatever instruments and tools he he, he has available um, to turn your heart and that's significant and the fact that is that in Jonah it's really more about the story of God reaching a prophet rather than reaching the people because mm. so much of the story is on him trying to reach Jonah himself and reaching the people that's almost secondary secondary it's it's reaching the prophet and reaching his own heart and uh, Anyway, so God appoints. God appoints that. God appoints that uh, fish. Um, Matthew eleven says this, verse twenty. Then he, the pronoun reaches back to the antecedent Jesus, began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles Mm. were done. Yeah, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Mm. Now, I could read on yeah. because this section would certainly allow for that um, because it gives more analogies. But here's the argument. Jesus knows what it would have taken right. to tip the scales in the ancient cities' hearts, their occupants' hearts, 
those cities which were damned and doomed. Right. My statement is, God knows, and, and I think, John, so many times when we're sharing the gospel or when we're trying to um, um, correct someone apologetically or even within the framework of the church in a disciplinary manner, we're trying to figure out through human manipulation, what will it take for that person to finally get it? Right. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. Right. And secondarily, God knows. And, and what we have to be bold enough to do is back off and yeah. let God do that which only God can see, to accomplish God's ends see, and God's purpose. You think about this, and just as it relates to Jonah as well, is that God knows the instrument and tool he's going to use, but he also knows how he needs to use it and the timing of that use as well. Right. And so many times we try to be the, the instrument and try to make it happen in our, in our way and timing, and maybe God has to allow this person to, to carry forward in their rebellion or whatever to the point where they are actually calling out with, with a sincerity than if they were being forced to repent and change, and that would be premature. And so then there's the risk of, well, what happens if that person, that's, you know, that person doesn't or whatever? That's in God's hand. It's a matter of sovereignty. And really, at, at some point, when you take your hands off the, of the situation, now you, you can still, you back up and you pray. You spend time in prayer, and, and, you, you, and that's on God's timing. And it's something about God's timing and, um, is um, he, he does everything God, God does is deliberate. Even look in the life of Jesus, he does things on a del- deliberate timetable, not to be rushed, not to do things prematurely, but on God's timetable for, for a, a particular purpose. And so many times is we don't have that patience, you know, where I don't see anything happen. But what it, often God, what God has to do is, is take our hands off of the situation and allow him to work without our meddling. And, yes. You know, we can have a part in praying and lifting up and just continue to intercede and not... But it's that it's the the timing aspect, you know, and and what kind of tool God's going to use. You and I might not be the tool that God will use in a person's life. It may be something or some circumstance or person that we have never met or encountered, but God knows, you know, and that's where the trust, and that's where we get the you get to trust God with, uh, with that, and that's that's the challenge and test for us. It's like, well, Lord, I love this person, I love these people, and God says, well, I love them too, <laughs> to a greater extent. And I know what it's going to take, you know, and so that's the that's the that's the tricky part. So here, with Jonah, God's reaching Jonah, or, or is going to reach Jonah as we get into uh, into the rest of the chapter. Absolutely. So the Lord uh, appoints. I prefer that term. I hope we're going to get past verse seventeen. <laughs> I mean, I'm fine with what you yes. gave your word that we'd make it into yeah. chapter two. So uh, in the Masoretic text, I've already succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, are you sure we're in chapter two today? I have one word to talk about today. <laughs> it's been appointed to talk about the word appointed. Exactly. All right, go on. So, so the Lord appoints this this gadol. Remember that that word, yes, great. It's great. 
has been significant all throughout our study. Yes. For the great city, for the for the great storm, as it were. So so this has been a word that the author does not want us to to relieve our attention from. Uh, God is using great tools to to grasp the attention of this prophet, but also he is sending this prophet to minister to this great city. Right. Um, so he appoints this fish. Again, we don't know what kind of fish it is, yeah. but it would do us well at this point to mention that in a historical journal, yes. there was an incident wherein there was an individual who was actually swallowed by a sperm whale. Yeah, poor guy. And um, um, he didn't live too long afterward, but um, um, he did live. And when he was recovered from the um, stomach of the sperm whale, I, I believe this was in the 1800s. 1800s or early 19. I forget what yeah, it was, yes. yeah. Um, um, that um, he was discolored due to the acidity yes. that was in the belly of this this uh, sperm whale, yeah. um, that um, uh, it dyed his skin. Um, he had medical problems ensue as a result. Um, uh, he was quite a medical marvel of, the wor- uh, yeah. of, of that day yeah. and a wonder of that day. So this is not impossible. No. No, of course yes. not. So it should be seen in the light of that which is possible. So in this case, he swallows Jonah. Now, what's interesting to me is, is first of all, just a few things within this section. First of all, the covenantal name of God is employed. Yes, which before it wasn't. If I, if I remember correctly, it's um, maybe El Shaddai or, or um, I have to look it up, but I think this is this, this is one of the first times... Uh, maybe, or maybe it's in verse 14, I, I, but it is significant it's that the Yahweh as the faithful God of faithful, uh, faithful to his covenant uh, is used. Uh, yeah, he, he employs the term uh, Yahweh uh, in verse 1, uh, the, the covenantal name of God. But, but what I find very interesting is, though the prophet has run, um, um, though the prophet is... Well, well, well you're, you're in verse 1? Uh, uh, no, I'm saying it was used. Oh, I the, see. The term okay. Yahweh, oh, first the covenantal name oh, the of first, God, okay, first, first. <laughs> was actually used um, uh, in in one, the one. first. Yes, yeah, in, yeah. in the first verse. Right. Though he's run from this covenantal God, it is this covenantal God that pursues him. Right. It's interesting because That's, yeah, it's on. what we also see in Genesis three that the adversary tries to drop the covenantal right. name. Right. And he just wants the did, humans to concentrate God. on Elohim, the right. power of God, without a relational aspect or focus. But what we see is the Lord God was walking in the cool of the day. Right. And what we see is a mirror here where even though he's going to chastise Jonah, he's doing it in covenant. Right. He's doing it disciplinary in love. He's doing it in fellowship, though the prophet has gone away from fellowship, there is a tenderness in God's approach and discipline. Right, right. That's and, significant. And I think we do well to appreciate that because sometimes when, when believers mess up, we can almost throw them into the same bucket or basket that we do unbelievers. Yeah. No, he, he, he pursues us tenderly, carefully, yet relentlessly with mercy. Yeah. That's going to come up even in when we finally get to chapter 2 and we finally look at Jonah's prayer. We'll see some things in his prayer where um, God still takes the the initiative. He still takes the, you know, um, Jonah's prayer is not a perfect prayer, and, is, and there are certain things that are lacking from his prayer, but God still uh, accommodates him, so to speak, uh, based on the level of that prayer. He still is faithful 
in in his pursuit and in in rescuing Jonah. But let's look at at the, the significance of the end of verse seventeen in chapter one. Absolutely. It says it says that he was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Yes. And that's of course Jesus is going to use that, but there's there's significance to that phraseology there because uh, there's some some connotations with what that what that means. The three days and three nights spoke of one that would uh, visit sort of um, the place of the dead. The, yes. To um, to say this is. Um, you're transitioning from the the place of the living to the place of the dead, and it took that was a journey. That was a uh, in the in the ancient Near Eastern cultures they had other uh, myths that are written where they would travel to the netherworld, and it took three days and three nights to get there. So this is speaking of death right here. It is. It is. In fact, it's so significant that when you're looking in the framework of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, let's pause for a moment and talk about biblical numerology. Yes. Now, what we don't want to do is we don't want to be mystics, and we don't want to give strange meanings to to um, um, any and every number in the Bible. But where there is a constant pattern, right. we must pay attention to that pattern and acknowledge it for how it is presented. Right. And there is a particular way yes. that this, this three days yes. is presented in, in, in similar context right. throughout the framework of Scripture. And Jesus Christ, as you said later on, will employ it as such. But let's go back to a familiar one. Genesis. When you get to, yes, when you get to Genesis, where Abraham is going to take his son. Yes. And it's going to be a three-day journey. Right. The idea in the ancient Near East, both extra-biblical in extra biblical literature as well as in biblical literature had this depiction where where when one had a 3 day stint in a given circumstance right. that that had a similar or a parallel context that they were visiting the 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 brink of death as it were right and they had it was considered that if they returned they were coming back, back from, from the death yes. or the land of the dead or a potential bout with death. Right. Now, that's one of the reasons why, like for instance, when you get to John chapter 11, right. and I believe at Resurrection Church where you serve as senior pastor, you're in the in, in the middle of an exposition on the gospel of John. We're starting now. chapter 7 Sunday, Lord willing. Yes, yes. So we'll get to 11 someday. Yes, but you recollect that recollect. in chapter number 11, yes. one of the reasons why Jesus waits to the fourth day is because it was believed that the spirit of the person hovered over the body. And of course, that's not a biblical concept. Right. That's an extra biblical yet cultural right. um, a belief system that does become pertinent to our interpretation of that text in John chapter number 11. And so he waits because it's believed that, well, after three days, that spirit is gone and right. he's not going See, to return. And, and that I, obviously this is not exactly pertinent, well, directly, but the fact that Jesus would wait till a fourth day with Lazarus speaks of the fact that 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 actually alludes to the rest of us or the rest of the people who have died before uh, who are gone to be the Lord, their own resurrection, those who are be, who are dead over three days. It's not just it's it's not just like wait, he, he rescued you from the brink of death, i.e. within three days. No, no, you were really dead four days and on. And that Jesus had the power to to, to rescue somebody from even further than than where Lazarus has gone. Um, um, it's pointing, of course, to his to his his power over life and death, and his power at, at the resurrection. The three days, as you were saying, is is significant throughout all of Scripture, 
whether it's Israel wandering for three days without, I think it's without water, you know, they were on the brink of death. Abraham yes. and, and, and Isaac, you have several, like I said, the pattern that's repeated here. Uh, of course, then, of course, then Jonah now, he's three days and three, three nights in the stomach of the fish. For all intents and purposes, he is visiting the place of the dead, and he's on the brink of crossing that threshold when we go into chapter two. And by the way, this is not our imagination. When no. we go into chapter two, right. he's going to suggest as much. He's going to describe it, which Absolutely. is then interesting. Here's what the text does. In chapter two, it switches uh, its genres from a narrative to a poetic Poetry. Genre. Some some individuals would call it a psalm right. or a song, but in this case, it is poetic in its style. Which we have to sit up and ask, because whenever that a shift happens of that nature, you have to stop and say, whoa, what, why the change here, you know? And I think part of it is you have for the first time up in, you know, Jonah's only four chapters long, okay? But we have so much that's packed in this first chapter that you don't really hear much from Jonah. You don't hear what he's thinking or feeling. You hear, you have some, some statements from him regarding a throwing me to the, to the, to the water, the, you know, the storm will stop, but you don't get within his skin, Right. When you switch to a psalm or poetry, then you get into the person's skin, and you hear and feel emotion, and so it 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 describes what he sees, what he feels, um, the emotion of all that from his perspective, and you step into his shoes. That's the shift that we're going to get some insight that wouldn't be there if it was still narrative. You know. I'm glad that you said that, John, because sometimes when we refer to these different genres, French word for kind or style of literature. Uh, I didn't uh, know you study French. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Parlez vous, parlez vous français or whatever. <laughs> You're a, a man of, of many talents. <laughs> a lot of individuals would say, why the variant of literature? Right. It's going to affect how we interpret. Right. But number two, it helps us to, to gain insight certain things are conveyed in certain ways in scripture because that that mode or that manner is a better conveyance of whatever that content is right when we look at the psalms which is poetic and prayer literature right when we look at the psalter you will in poetic literature have a lot of imagery yeah um you will have a lot of emotions um you will have sometimes parallels. You'll have two lines aligned with one another that seek to progress a thought right. or say the same thing or, or right. things of that and nature. And, and so what you're stepping into, and remember, we coined this term while we were um, studying some time ago. We should not look at him. We ought not look at him as a spiritual cadaver. Right. Let, let the prophet hurt. Yeah. Let him be in wonderment. Let him be in shock and awe. Let him be fearful, as it were. Don't just read him as though it's next sentence yeah. and next sentence. Right. You're coming into something here that is terribly emotional. Yeah. And and I, I want to allow him to feel. And well, just to just to tag on what you're just saying is, if you remember that the point of us reading the scripture is not just to read us and say, oh, this, this was Jonah a long time ago, far away, you know, that was good for him. It's more of, really, it's sort of speaking to us as well. You know, there has to, there, there's that, that part of us that's like Jonah. And, and with the poetic or psalm, whatever genre that God is going to employ, it's, it's going to tug on, hopefully it's going to tug on our hearts, it's hopefully identify with where this man's at. I think it's interesting just to go back to the the the, the choice of the um, 
the choice of the words in, in verse 17, it says that he was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights, you know? And if I remember correctly, that, that word stomach can or belly can also be translated womb. And you have a picture of two different things. You have a picture, one is his tomb, he's three days and three nights picturing death, but then a womb, which pictures a birth of some sort. Mm-hmm. And perhaps uh, the, the text in verse 17 is alluding to a, perhaps a new birth of sort. You know, you have a death and a birth, which is interesting that Jesus would pick up on that verse right here, three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, to depict both his death and then his his you know coming alive yes. again, and so yes. I think that's interesting how how there's this play on words or this double, um, not meaning, yes, double entendre. Yeah. So so here's Jonah. So shifting to to the poetic literature, and Jonah is going to do something profound here. Oh my! So well, so, hello. so so stop the presses. So so verse seventeen. <laughs> Wait, there is there is nothing in this verse that is non miraculous. Right. The Lord. Appointed, right? A fish to swallow, right? That's miraculous. Um, um, and Jonah was in the stomach. That's miraculous. Of the fish, three days and three nights. Now the appointment has a goal. Yes. Remember, in chapter one, God said, Yahweh said to Jonah. But right. contradistinctive to many of the prophetic calls where individuals would at least speak up and 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 yes, Lord. voice either either Hineni, right. here am I here am I right Isaiah. or or no no lord moses right i don't want to do this but now, but 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 for for moses or like gideon it's more of like i can't speak or jeremiah right or i'm too young yeah but this is but at least they would voice their yeah. complaint he doesn't do that you don't want me lord because i'm not the right guy I, i'm too I, i'm too bashful or shy or can't speak or too young blah, blah blah jonah is like i don't like these people forget about them right but he doesn't say anything no that's and so you have his silence we see him doing a lot of things right and then in in chapter one where we have the 12 questions um uh and and you know uh, we have 12 questions rather in the book and, right. and the majority of the questions that will be asked are questions by the goyim the gentiles right. right but but then when when jonah is even answering in rapid succession these questions um um we hear little of him right. and his conversation is horizontal it's not vertical. Right. He's 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 not only not talking to God, he's not talking because he's not willing to talk to right. God. Because this, this is a prophet. He know, and, that's, and, he, and he even says this later on in the book because he knows what God's going to do. But you're right, he's, he's... Which is interesting. When somebody is running from God... They don't want to have a conversation with They him. don't want to have a conversation with or about him. They want to avoid any talk about God. They want to avoid the issue. They want to skirt from that because they know... They're suppressing that. They know they're avoiding that because they know deep down that 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 conversation is going to have to happen. And the longer they can delay it, in fact, in one sense, Jonah, by his actions, is was saying, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead than do this. Yes, because in chapter number one, he has no clue that there is a great fish coming for him. Oh, no. I mean, he's he's probably thinking my plan is I'm going to go vacation a little bit in in Tarshish. I'm going to, you know, move there. God's going to get another prophet. I'm off the hook. But, but at the point where he tells the men, the sailors, yeah, throw me overboard. That's now he's now he's on, now he knows he's in he he's literally, um um committing secondhand suicide. Right. He has he has no clue. 
that he's going to be picked Which up. tells you, I mean, I know we've probably talked about this, this is a lot of this review, but just the, na- the state of a person's heart that would purposely, knowingly, I mean, mm. he, he's like, I'd rather be dead than to go through with, with God's will for my life. What? I mean, that, that's how far gone. And this is God's choice, you know, of a prophet to to have him speak for God. Yes. Can can we borrow from from an, uh, a later aspect of the narrative and an earlier aspect of the yeah. narrative? Because I love what you said. I want to hone it in even further. I would rather be dead. Chapter four. Why? Because I knew you were merciful. Exactly. So I'd rather be dead than for you to use me as an instrument of your mercy to a nation that is steeped in grotesque sin. And here's the question of the test. Really, Jonah, are you sure that you don't want God to be merciful? Right, but not only that is, wait, if you're gonna be, you're gonna be, Jonah, you're gonna be that hard on some, on these, the Ninevites, but don't realize the depths of the darkness of your own heart and the hardness of your own heart. Now remember, in this entire book, God's efforts through and through have been on reaching Jonah, his own man, Yes. and then the people of Nineveh. Nineveh, yes. Nineveh responds like that. Jonah, even at the end of the book, you're left hanging, wondering, did he really come around? Even after we read this prayer, we'll talk about this prayer in either today or, t- <laughs> or, or next time, but the depths that God goes through to reach this man's heart, it just, it just boggles my mind that God would be so patient so kind, so, so kind, so merciful. It is it is not reminiscent of Exodus, the Lord, the Lord. Yeah, gracious. Yeah, who who has loving kindness, who shows mercy or grace to generations. It, it, it it's reminiscent of of the character of God in hot pursuit See, of a complex prophet, and and I can't distance myself from him. Right. I have to realize, Lord, I want you to show mercy to others because I'm blind to the areas where I need it mm. myself. Yeah. You know, just the 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 pursuit of God in reaching, it, it tells you something, that God will never be at fault for not putting forth everything and all the effort to reach somebody. I mean, he speaks that with Jesus. I mean, Jesus, the sending of Jesus Christ, his son, to, to live a perfect life, to, to be crucified um, for us. Um, you know, they say he bankrupt heaven, so to speak. You know, he, he didn't hold back, basically, I'm trying right, to say. Right, God right. doesn't hold back. When he's pursuing somebody, he's not holding back. Um, and here with, with someone like Jonah, whose, whose heart has been so hardened, and for whatever reason, you know, maybe there's somebody listening whose heart is like Jonah's. For whatever reason, it's there's a hardness of there, and there's also there's a suppressing of of the knowledge of God that you know to be true, but for some reason you are you are resisting that, and God is pursuing you, and He is working on your heart to to woo you back to Him, and He will He will not. Yeah, if he has to send a fish to swallow you, he'll do that. You know, if whatever the circumstances, that's the the God who is gracious and compassionate, and long suffering, and and would rather um, 
sort of bankrupt heaven and sending his son to reach you, he'll do that. And that's the kind of God that, that we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I think I think as I'm looking at this, I want to relieve people of this statement. When when someone is lost or or when someone goes to an extreme end, they immediately want to indict God. Mm-hmm. Why didn't God? This text demonstrates God will not be indicted because you're more merciful than he is. No, he's the God of mercy. Right. Um, you never know how much a person resisted, how much wooing of the Holy Spirit a person resisted to get where they are and to be who they have chosen to be. Um, God is not the God who says, ah, doesn't really matter yeah. to me. Even those who go to hell will have gone in the face of multitudinous obstacles that God put in their way. Now, many doctrines should be uh, mentioned here. We don't have time for that. But with that being said, even with those doctrines in place, the most grotesque sinner will never say that he or she donned hell or the lake of fire without mercy in their way, right? The sun shines upon the just as well as the unjust, upon the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Here's what I want to say to the sinner. Pay attention to the sun over you, the rain over you. Pay attention to that which God appoints to garner your attention. And while we'll get to this in the next recording, The question is in the text, does God's appointed instrument have efficacious results? I have to be honest and I have to say yes and no. Yes, in that Jonah would eventually pray and do God's bidding, but did it altogether change his heart? I can't say that. But right now, the things that God has appointed in your life, the good that God has appointed, he draws us to repentance by his goodness, Romans 2 and 4, or through suffering. Dear believer who's being disciplined or dear sinner who is being chased by the holy hound dog of heaven, is the thing appointed or are the things appointed that are going wonderfully well in your life are going very, very difficult. Are they realizing their end? And what is that end? That your knee would willingly bow before the God of eternity, the God of the Bible, and that you would have a change of heart and a change of life, and that you would do the bidding of the God who created you for something so much more glorious than what your life is accomplishing right now. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.